Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So um, my name is Deshaun. If you are new to Third Street, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, you may hear other people call me Dish. Uh, that's my nickname. Feel free to call me that. Um, I've uh, been here at Third Street since, since the jump. I'm one of the associate pastors, and I'm really excited to get into this word today. The topic, however, I was talking with Corey and Pastor KT about how this topic came about to be decided that it would land on the Sunday I would preach. Um, and, and it just so turned out. I think that's just the way the Holy Spirit intended it. Um, but it also may have had something to do with the fact that they wanted to avoid this topic altogether. What? Oh, no. Okay. All right. So we've been in this series called Distracted. Everybody say distracted with me. Distracted. If you're awake and it's not too hot yet, say distracted. Okay, so we've been in this series called Distracted, uh, and this comes from this idea. This comes from this uh, place where we've, we've been given everything that we need to live into God's kingdom purpose for our lives, God's kingdom plan for our lives. And we are invited into that work of reconciliation, into that work of redemption, right? Um, but many of us, if I, I dare say all of us, are actually struggling on a daily basis with focus, with purpose, uh, and we end up kind of wandering off the purpose that God has planned for us. Uh, if I'm just speaking to myself, we'll keep it that way. But if you are in agreement, a gentle nod may be, that, that, that'll be acceptable. Yes, okay, I see a few people out there with me. Okay, we are a people that are constantly distracted. We are constantly distracted with one thing or another. If there's not something trying to get our attention, it's the inner turmoil that we have in our hearts that's distracting us from that purpose. As a result of this, we end up being not as effective or fruitful as God intended for us to be, right? Yes, sir. If you weren't with us last week, uh, which I was not, I was with the kids, so I had to listen to Pastor Kenny's message. Uh, he took us through Genesis 19, the end of Genesis, or the, the end of the, it was the second part, actually part two. Genesis 19, looking at Lot, Abraham's cousin, and how uh, Abraham felt responsible for Lot. How Abraham felt like, you know, maybe if I would have, I mean, I gave him every, you know, if just he felt responsible for the outcome of Lot's family. Lot's wife turned into a pillar of stone, and Lot's life kind of went off the rails, and all this happened after Abraham had been in his life. And so Abraham may have felt a sense of responsibility, and Pastor Kenny reminded us that we are not God. You are not God, which means you are not responsible for another individual's faith walk. You may be put in someone's life to influence their life. You may be put in someone's life to help guide them in the right way, but you ultimately can't get yourself distracted by someone else's walk because they're wandering and you feel responsible. You stay connected on mission and on purpose with what God had for you in your life, and that's how you are fruitful and effective for other people's lives. So that's, that's what Pastor KT kind of brought us to, this idea of the rescuer versus the rescued, right? We can't save anyone on our own, and even though we'd want to, ultimately, we are not responsible for other people's faith walk. So today, how do we get to today? What's today's topic, Dish? What is today's topic? What are we going through today? Today, we're going to talk about what happens when your belief starts to run low. What happens when the storms of life and the voices around us start to drown out the quiet 
whispering voice of God that's speaking in our life? What happens when we get distracted by doubt? Man, it got quiet. What happens when questioning aspects of our faith become something more? When the questions that we have stop and then it turns into doubt. And I think before we get into it too much further today, I have to differentiate a little bit. Because all of us have been through some kind of questioning. I think if you've been walking with the Lord for any stretch of time, there's been some questions that have popped up. There's been some things that have been raised in your mind, like in the Old Testament. Like, did it have to be circumcision? Wasn't there another way, Jesus? Right? Like, what's all the rules about the touching and the cleansing and the uncleansing? Like, there's so many questions, so many things I want to ask God. Like, why this? Right? Why did you have to kill the fig tree? Right? Fig tree wasn't doing anything. And that's probably why he had to kill it. He wasn't doing anything, right? But there's so many questions that we have that are unanswered. And that's okay, right? There's a difference between questioning and doubt. And I want to I tease that out a little bit before we get into the text for today. These two things are not the same in my mind. In my humble opinion, not a scholar, but from my studies and my perspective, doubt and questioning are not the same thing. See, doubt according to Webster's or dictionary.com, whichever source you decide to use, says doubt is a mental state of uncertainty, a lack of confidence or a lack of belief in something. It's a mental state. I want you to keep that in mind. Doubt is a mental state of uncertainty, lack of confidence or lack of belief in something. Questioning is an action of inquiring. So one is a mental state. It's stagnant. It's not going anywhere. And one is an action of inquiring of wondering, of curiously working towards the truth. You see the difference? One is a static, I'm set, I'm not going anywhere, and there's no growth happening. And one is, I'm moving towards something because I have questions, I I have curiosity, I have wonder about what this means for my life. So the scripture for today we're going to turn to, if you have your physical Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're going to John chapter 6. And it's a long passage, so you're welcome in advance. John chapter 6, verse 41 to 69. And it's not only a long passage, it's a difficult passage. So again, you're welcome. If you have your physical Bibles, turn there. If you do not, you have it on your phone, and you can avoid the temptation of being distracted, pun completely intended. Feel free to turn there on your phone, or it's up on the screen. And let's read. And so it says, Then the people began to murmur in disagreement. That's always a good place to start. Because he had said, I am the bread of life. I am, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, 
but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Uh Uh-oh. Then the people began to argue with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. He said these things while he's teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the last part. Love this part. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the very beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter, good old Peter, replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Blessed be the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your hard words. Thank you for your difficult words. Thank you for being not only our salvation, not only our confidence, not only our hope, but Lord, uh, thank you for being our daily sustenance, our daily bread. That when we get hungry, when this world offers us different kinds of snacks and morsels and things that we can indulge on that you ultimately are the one who sustains us you're the one that keeps us from ever having to hunger again from ever having to spiritually be famished again lord thank you that you show us how to live you show us how to approach the father and you give us access to new eternal life every day in jesus name amen so the scripture that we just read the context of this passage is that Jesus had recently just healed a man who had been paralyzed since birth. Not only that, it was on the Sabbath, on a holy day when he was not supposed to be doing any work, so he stirred up the pot already. He's already got his name out there in the community. People are talking about him. And then he followed that up by feeding 5,000-plus people. It says 5,000 men, but that's not to include the the women and children that may have been there as well. So it was 5,000-plus people that he had just miraculously fed by turning five barley loaves of bread and two little fish into a meal, a feast with 12 baskets of leftovers. 
So he did a good job, right? Then he decides, you know what, I'm tired. I'm going to take a detour to go across the lake. Disciples, you guys meet me over there. I'll meet you when you get up. But Jesus, but there's two boats. Why haven't you taken the other one? Well, he says, you know what, there's this funny thing is, is I am divine in nature, and I'm just going to go ahead and just walk across this water. No big deal. He takes a detour across the Sea of Galilee, and, and while he's walking across, his disciples are following. They're coming along, and a storm breaks out. A vicious storm is going to, to capsize the boat. And out on the horizon, they see Jesus, and he's walking, and he gets aggravated by the storm. And like a parent who's had way too much stimulation by his children, he goes, shh, shh, and the storm shuts up. If only as a parent we had that kind of power. Doesn't even, doesn't even talk back one time. Not one thunder, not one roll of thunder, just he stops the storm in its tracks. They get to the other side. They finally get to shore. And Jesus is met by a mob. People had followed him. They'd come through and they'd followed him because they had just been fed. And there was leftovers. And now they were hungry again. And so they came to find him and they, and they start questioning him. He hasn't even had a moment to sit down and take a break. And they're questioning him and they're saying, you know, what must we do to perform the works of God like you did? We want to know what you did. What are the signs that you're going to give us? Jesus, what, what, are, what are the signs you're going to give us that you're a Messiah? We know that you've done these amazing things, but man, like what, what proof can you give us that you are who you say you are? What works are you performing? What are you going to do to entertain us? Jesus, show us more. In other words, what are you going to do for us? We don't remember everything you've already done already. We already forgot. So what are you going to do for us now, though? That was yesterday, but what about lately? This brings me to our first point of the day. Beware of spiritual amnesia. These followers had literally just been fed for free. No ticket prices. Nobody had to pay until they were full, busting at the seams, they couldn't eat anymore. They knew of the miracles Jesus had already performed. But somehow their doubt made them forget all that they had seen, heard, and experienced. They'd gone through spiritual amnesia. Now, if you all know anything about amnesia, if you're like, is that somebody's name? That's a really cool name. Name my, name, my next baby, amnesia. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. Amnesia is a condition in which we lose our memories, right? It's a condition in which you, you lose short-term memory, specifically, and you have the inability to process new information. Now, most of the time, that's all it really refers to. But Hollywood, you know how Hollywood does. Let's take this thing and let's make it extreme, all right? Let's take car racing and let's combine it with explosives and make 10 movies that... <laughs> Never mind, I'm, I'm done. That's, that's right. I'm talking about the, 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 like, the 10 Fast and Furious. If you are a fan, good, that's, that's, good for, that's good for you. That's good for you. A lot of action. A lot of driving, a lot of action. Explosions. Most of the time, amnesia refers to just this short-term memory loss and, and inability to process new information. But Hollywood takes it to the extreme, and they're like, we're going to make you forget your entire whole identity. You don't even know who you are. You wake up, you have no recollection of who you are. You don't know your name, all that. Now, there's many examples of this. I can't list them all, but I'm just going to give you the favorite, my favorite, unabashedly. You can argue with me later if you would like to, but my favorite series that touches on this 
is the Born series. Yeah, I knew, I knew Dilo and I were rocking on this. Yeah, the Born series, right? So we'll get into the Born series in a minute. But essentially, essentially, when somebody has amnesia, right, they forget a little bit of this new information. But even what's even more amazing is when somebody brings in new information. Somebody brings in recollection. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is who you are. This is what you need to know about yourself. Ten minutes later, they may have forgotten that. Now, hang with me. Hang with me. In the event where you have amnesia, when someone brings you fresh answers, someone's trying to remind you of what you've forgotten, a person with amnesia may not even been able to remember that they've just been helped. If you have spiritual amnesia, You've forgotten who God made you to be. You've forgotten who God created you to be, who God, how God gifted you, how God has rescued you, how God has taken you through these ups and downs and delivered you. Somebody coming along to you, reminding you, saying, hey, but don't you remember? I saw God's evidence in your life this way. I saw God do this in your life. I saw God do this. You might walk away a few minutes later. You're like, wait, wait, who's God? Beware of spiritual amnesia. So, back to born. June 14, 2002. I was a freshman in high school. Not quite yet. I was almost a freshman in high school. The born identity hits theaters. It was an action-packed thriller with real stunts. None of this CG nonsense, computer-generated nonsense. It was real-life stunts by the actors, and Matt Damon was at the top of his game. All right? It's been downhill since, but at that time, he was at the top of his game. The actors are in it. There's an entangling web of stories that keeps you locked in, and you're wondering the whole movie. What was real? What was deception? The opening scene is one of the best opening scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It starts out, Matt Damon floating in some water. He's got tactical gear, and there's a blinking light. And on this water, it's a storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a fishing boat. And in the fishing boat, there's a bunch of guys in the bottom, and they're just playing cards. And outside, it keeps flashing back out to Matt Damon. And he's out floating. He's, he's half dead. And he's just floating around. And it cuts back, and there's this spy music. You know, it's real, real suspenseful, right? And, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they go, and they get Matt Damon. We don't know anything about him at this time, right? But they drag him onto the boat. And they're, they're curious. They're wondering what's going on. He's filled with bullet holes, and he's bleeding, and he's tactical gear. Obviously, this guy's an operative somehow, and, and then from there, it just cuts out. Then you have to like, work back to figure out what happened. It's beautiful, beautiful, wonderful movie. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out, right? The idea that this image came to my mind in connection to what we're into today, because I want to bring it back, is that Jason Bourne is a CIA operative. And the rest of the series, you have to keep watching because he has to spend his time questioning. He has to spend his time going back to try to figure out who he is. He definitely has questions. He has reason to doubt almost everything. You watch throughout, and he doesn't know who he can trust. He doesn't know who's safe. He doesn't know how he's going to survive. And yet what he does, instead of just giving up to the amnesia, instead of just rolling over and dying, instead of just going along with this fishing boat and being like, well, I guess I'm a fisherman. He asks questions. He gets in depth. He goes to extremes to find out who he is. He makes allies, people who are on his side. He finds out, hey, are you on, are you on my side in this quest to find the truth? Because I need you on my side. I need help to find out the truth of who I am. 
He does not give up without a fight. What was revealed to me is that sometimes we as believers, when you're following Jesus, we as Christians, we're faced with some challenges. We might feel like we're deserted. We might feel like we've just been nearly killed and we're out there stranded on our own. And we might even have legitimate trauma in our lives. Y'all have gone through some things that I don't know about. And it's not my business. But God knows about it. You've gone through it. And so how do you acknowledge that and yet still bounce back and not let that trauma make you go through spiritual amnesia, make you forget the stuff that God already did for you? We forget about what God said about who we are, that we are made in his image. We forget what Paul said in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5 when he said, look, whatever you've been through, whatever you've done, whatever your sin is, we were all still weak. We were all still sinners when Christ died for the ungodly. While we were all yet still sinners, remember that he died for us. So the questions I've got for you is what, what has God already done in your life that Satan is actively working around the clock to make you forget about? What did God already rescue you from that you need to be reminded of to fend off doubt? What do you need to be talking about and who do you need to be talking to regularly to keep your testimony fresh on the mind? Sometimes I feel like when we have gone along with Jesus for some time, we get into this habit. I'm coming to church. I'm going to do huddle or maybe not do huddle. I'm going to come to summer studies or maybe not come to summer studies. I'm going to just keep in the rhythm. And what happens is we forget what brought us to Jesus in the first place. And, and when we don't remember that, when we don't take time to regularly revisit our testimony, we can get too comfortable. We can get forgetful. The devil will start to put a little shade, a little, 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 little cloudiness onto our, our memory so that we start to, did that really happen? Like, was that, did I really go through that? And we might forget the fact that God has brought us this far. So this summer, I promised Rev I would be kind this morning, so I'm going to be kind, but I am going to point out some truths. So this summer, we've had some summer studies that address different issues and deal with faith and practical aspects. Matter of fact, aren't you doing one coming up here right now? Summer studies, check it out. It's on the website. If you haven't registered, register. I'm being kind. The practical aspects of living our, our, out our faith as followers of Jesus. Have you registered for anything? Have you participated in the resources that have been made available to you so that you can fight off doubt? So you can fend off some of the little sneaking suspicions that, that creep up when we're isolated in our own thinking. One of the great other opportunities that we have is we offer huddles. Right now during the summer, huddles are on a hiatus because let's be real, huddle leaders sometimes need just a break to just be with family and just rejuvenate and be ready to kick it off in the fall so that we can be great resources for you, right? These huddles are coming up. Those are places where if you are new to Third Street, it's a small group where you, can, where you can register and sign up to be a part of. You commit to for a year. You'll be a part of this group, and you can ask questions. You can explore your faith. You can ask for resources. You can challenge each other, and you can grow in those spaces. Be curious and rely on the Scripture and the resources that are made available for you to grow in faith. So when huddle time comes up for registration, are you going to register? Are you going to make use of the resources that are available to prevent you from spiritual amnesia, right? 
So the followers in John 6, we'll call them the other disciples, because there's the 12 and then there's the others. The other disciples in John 6 quickly forgot what they had seen and experienced. And this caused them to question, right? Initially caused them to question, what kind of teaching is this, right? But what shut it down for them really quick was when Jesus claimed to be sent by God and then he offended their understanding and expectations. Y'all have been offended to the point where it makes you sit back. Well, that was offensive, right? Probably during one of Corey's sermons, Pastor Corey's sermons, Pastor KT's sermons, maybe. Never happened to me. I don't get offended by that. I've known him too long. I've I've known him way too long. But you ever been offended to the point where you just have to take a step back? That's what these other disciples were experiencing. When Jesus said, I've been sent by the Father, you can't get to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. It offended their understanding and their expectations. If the environment for their doubt, let's talk about this in a farming analogy or a plant analogy because it's biblical, and I'm not a farmer. You can go to Rachel. She's the horticulturist in our church, right? But if this is a soil plant-based analogy, the environment for doubt, the soil for doubt is spiritual amnesia, forgetfulness about what God has done, right? Right? Now, if that's the case, then the seed of their doubt was unmet expectations. So these believers, the other disciples, they had these unmet expectations. They had the seed of their faith was corrupted with doubt because of unmet expectations. Which brings me to our second point, which is examine the seed of your faith. See, most plants grow from seeds. So before there was a giant redwood. You ever seen a redwood or pictures of a redwood? I love the idea of a redwood because you can drive a car through it. I've, I would love to be able to say I drove a car through a tree. Redwoods are massive, humongous trees. But you know how small the seed is that starts out from a redwood? It's smaller than my pinky nail. One single seed that can grow into a massive tree that you could drive a car through, right? It's amazing. It's phenomenal, right? If you want to know what's going on with a plant species, you have to look at the seed. You have to examine the seed. Is the, plant, is the seed healthy? Is the seed actually Healthy or, or is there something there that could corrupt how it's going to turn out? Was there something wrong from the very beginning? If you want to look at the health of your faith, look at the seed of your faith. Are you growing a redwood that's going to stand against the test of time? That's going to stand against weather, adverse weather, storms, and fires? Or are you more likely to produce thistles and weeds that will sprout up real fast? And then they'll be choked out or they'll, they'll be pulled away or they'll waste away. Look at the followers in this passage in, in, in verse 26. In verse 26, Jesus calls them out and says, you are looking for me. This is before the passage we got to. But it says, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you were hungry and I gave you food and you were stuffed. Then a few minutes later, they're coming back and saying, okay, well, that's cool. But what signs more are you going to give us? What are you going to do for us so we can believe in you? How else are you going to prove to us? See, these followers were coming to Jesus with their own expectations, all kinds of expectations. He was supposed to be this, and he was supposed to be that. And as the Messiah, he was supposed to do this. And he he did not fit into their nice, neat expectations. The seed of their faith had been corrupted because of their expectations. Where Has your seed of faith been corrupted? Jesus tells them, just as the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down, not like the one your ancestors ate, 
but this bread lives forever. And then verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. And another translation for that is offensive. This teaching is offensive. Who can accept it? The reason why that word is offensive is because when Jesus said what he said on face value, we talk about this at Thursday, we said, you know, don't, it, it, there's a danger with casual reading, right? So on face value, what Jesus said can almost sound cannibalistic. Like, why are you telling us to eat meat, like, like flesh, and drink blood? That's, that's really weird, Jesus. Like, that's not, I'm not cool with this teaching. This is offensive to me. And another layer of offense on that would have been that in the Jewish law, it was against the law to eat anything with the lifeblood in it. So for Jesus to tell his followers, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it was like two layers of offensiveness. First of all, like gross. Secondly, that's against the law. Now, Jesus would later go on to show his disciples, of course, that what he meant by that, the deeper reality was a spiritual one. He didn't want them, he's like, don't try to bite me. I will knock you, don't, no. He meant a deeper reality than that. What he meant was, was a spiritual connection, a spiritual unity, that when you partake in this thing called communion and you eat bread and you drink wine and you, or, or, and you, and you, and you submit yourself under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you are made one with Jesus. You are accepting yourself and saying, you know what, the sufferings and the hardships and the life of Jesus, I'm making, I'm making that my claim, Lord. But of course, the others did not ask questions. The others heard the hard, offensive teaching. They said, ah, I'm out. That's too much. I'm cool with fish and loaves. I'm not cool with flesh and blood. Their framework was messed with. It was too offensive. The seeds that they had were full of expectations and mindsets that they were not willing to change. What is the topic? Right now, if I started preaching a second sermon, look at you. Everybody's like, what? If I started right now and brought up a topic that would offend you to your core, that you've never admitted to anybody, or maybe you're not willing to admit, but something that would offend you that I even brought it up in church, what would that be? Don't answer. Sit, sit in that discomfort by yourself. What would the topic be that I would have to bring up to like make you clench up just a little bit more? Sit up straight. Politics? Sexuality? Racism? These things, if they are left without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they will corrupt the seeds of your faith. And when the seeds of your faith are corrupted, the fruit will be bad. So what are the contents of the seeds of your faith? Some of us have pain. It's normal to go through pain. Have you submitted that to the Holy Spirit? Or are you just, are you just wrestling through that on your own, just letting that fester in your seed? Are there other voices in the world that are louder than the voice of God speaking into your situation? Are you in disagreement with some of God's teachings? Because that just sounds different than I would do it, Jesus. Is there a lack of community, of support? And again, I want to bring it back. Questioning should not be something you're afraid to do or ashamed of doing. 
It's an essential part of growing. It's an essential part of connection, of, of, of engagement. If you're questioning, it means that, that you are engaged in your faith. What I'm trying to get at is when we get to a point where we are no longer questioning and we're just like, I doubt it. That means you've closed yourself off to the work of the Holy Spirit inside you. Does that make sense? Now, the best part of the scripture, I'm going to wrap it up here, is the last part, verse 67 to 69. So after Jesus tells the other disciples, look, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and this is how you become closer to God, and they're like, nope. Then he turns to the other 12 in verse 67. He says, he says so Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of life, the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. When Peter says this, there's almost a resignation. There's almost a, a surrendered tone. Peter is known for being fiery. Peter's the guy that, that will pick up a sword later on and cut off an ear because he's offended that somebody tried to put their hands on Jesus. Peter's the guy that will speak up out of turn because he feels like his idea needs to be heard first. But in this situation, we hear Jesus say, but Lord, like, where are we going to go? <laughs> like, we've, we've given up all of our lives. Like, you have the words of eternal life. This brings me to my last point for the day, which is give over control to God. When we're trying to fight against doubt, being aware of spiritual amnesia is one step. Examining the seeds of our faith is the next step. But ultimately, what really, really has to do it is this idea that we got to give over control to God. Now, even as I'm saying give over control, it almost sounds sacrilegious in our society, right? Everything in our society is made for personal control. Everything. Every system, every sector of society, every mode of communication tells us one thing. You have the power. You are in control. You are the one who directs and dictates your life. You go to the grocery store. I see this line, nah, fam, self-checkout for me. I am in control. I'm not waiting on anybody's timeline. I am not waiting for this nice post-retired lady to check me out at the rate of two miles per hour, and I'm not going to talk with her. No, thank you. Boop, 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 I'm out. You have the control. Going to the movies. No, I'm not sitting there and getting my ticket punched. I will check myself in at home. I will order my popcorn and Pepsi XL with my nerds and M&Ms because nobody sees and nobody knows. It's dark in there. You don't know what I'm doing. My control. Going to school? Online, baby. Don't sit in a class to listening to a boring lecture like the one I'm listening to now. No. I work from home in my pajamas, and I'll never have to sit next to another struggling student who wants to peek at my work again. No. You have a medical issue. This hits, this hits a little too personally for me. You got a medical issue? Should I call and talk to my provider about this issue? Should I ask him because of his or hers medical knowledge? No, <laughs> why would I do that? No, 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 no. WebMD and then Google, because it's Dr. Google, and then Teladoc. And then I'll follow up in two weeks when that treatment didn't work, and then I have to come in. Right? 
I have the control. Sorry, that one hit a little, <laughs> a little too personally there. So I may sound like a real downer about all these things. In reality, I like the convenience of the life that we have. I do. It makes my life easier. But my point is giving up control is especially difficult for many of us, for most of us. I'm going to say for all of us, because we're fighting against a really strong current, societal current that says exactly the opposite. Everything is telling us you are in control. You have the control. You are the one in charge. And here I am saying you got to give up control over to God. And how often do we stop to think, hey, is, is all of this control, is all of this me dictating all of these things in my life really good for me? Or have I just become a slave to convenience? One of the main factors that leads to doubt is the fact that we can't control the narrative. When the narrative starts to get out of control, when our life starts to go away from the path that we had intended, uh, maybe I should wrestle that back. Maybe God doesn't really know what's best for me. Jesus says some things that are just difficult. They just are. They're hard. But he says it himself in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are you when people revile you or persecute you or say all kinds of evil about you, against you, because you are my followers. Be glad about this, exceedingly glad even, because it means that you're imitating me well. This means that people may not like us for following Jesus. They may have to change things in our lives to align with his teachings. That's probably the harder part. You have to change up the way you live in order to align with his teachings. This means that we have to give up control. What I love about Peter's response when he's faced with this dilemma is there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of, I don't know where else to go. And I don't know how many of us have gotten to that point in our faith, just to be real. I don't know how many of us have ever been to a point where you've exhausted all other options. You've given up everything that you can. You have done absolutely all that you can up to your knowledge and, and, and up to the boundaries of what you've been given and you don't know what else to do. And all you can do is cry out and say, God, I don't know what else to do. Here's a group of guys. These are disciples, 12 disciples and some ladies that aren't mentioned in there as well, but who've given up their livelihoods and reputations and family and future to follow this person who they believe is the son of God. And now now they're seeing all of these other disciples walk away. All the momentum they had just built, everything that they had been working on, gone. And yet, what they say, what Peter says is we have come to believe and know. And I think we got to, you got to stay there for a minute. Most of us want to know and then we'll believe. What Peter says is we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One, the Son of God. Amen. Giving up control means that you believe the words of Jesus, what he said about himself, that they are true, that he is, he is for you, that what he said is intended for your good and your redemption, and then you know how to live. Then you walk out the tenets of your salvation. You walk out the, the, the details of your salvation. I'm going to finish out with this passage before we close. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Um, this passage, as we were singing the second song, popped back up in my mind because we talked about it. It's Jeremiah 17, 7. 
It says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And then he ends with this. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So in closing, where are you going for the answers of your questions? Where are you going and seeking the answers to life's most pressing questions on you? They're legitimate questions. Are you sure that you are really going to the source where the words of eternal life exist? Or are you just trying to find something that will satisfy your itching ears and something that sounds good, something that that in the moment will tell you what you want to hear? Or maybe you have been studying the scriptures really diligently. You've been faithful and and you still have questions. Good, good. You are in a good place. But who are you asking those questions in community with? Because you know what? Our hearts are desperately wicked. And when we ask questions and we don't have a context of community and accountability, our hearts will give us some answers. But who knows how good those answers really are? There is so much that God has for you to experience in him. So much freedom, so much joy, so much purpose, so much patience and peace. But we can't let ourselves forget who God said he is, who God says he is, what he has done for us, what he's done for you personally, and who he has made you to be in Christ. Be consistent in studying the scriptures because there's answers in there for our our pressing questions. Get into community. We have it available here at 3rd Street. Don't waste the opportunity to get plugged into community because you can ask your questions. You can be curious. You can inquire. You can learn. Learn to give up control because it's a learned habit. It doesn't come naturally to us, y'all. We want to wrestle control away. And you can learn within the context of community how to give up control over your life to God. That's how you stay focused. And that's how we stay from being distracted by doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have the eternal words of life. I thank you that in your word, you have truth. In your word, you have encouragement. You have challenge. In your word, you have purpose. I thank you that your Holy Spirit can point us to the truth that is in your word and that we don't have to go seeking and searching for answers elsewhere. But we can look at the world through the context of Scripture. We can look at the world through the context of your words and decipher and determine and and discern what you're saying to us. God, when we have questions, when we have fears, when we have pain, Lord, would you remind us of who you are, what you've done for us? And Lord, when sneaking suspicions and doubt starts to creep at the doorstep of our hearts, Lord, would you bring people around us to remind us when we can't remember 
would you bring people around us to remind us? God, guard our hearts from the deceit and wickedness that is in them without you. And protect this church, Lord. Protect this church, this body, these people from the allure of the world and the allure of, of the devil and just keep us from being distracted by, by what the world has to offer, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen.